What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Visitor's Bullpen. This is Matt Wyrick alongside Kevin Haswell kicking off our off-season series, um, looking ahead to the upcoming winter meetings, talking about some of the dominating storylines from this past year. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, it, it's a tough week for Phillies fans and especially Blue Jays fans. Uh, Roy Halladay, if you guys didn't hear, passed away on Tuesday. Uh, in a plane crash, which he was the only person on a two-seater plane, uh, flew into shallow water, crashed into shallow water, and he passed away at the age of 40. A really sad day, but really one of the classiest um, and best pitchers talent-wise in Major League Baseball history. You know, teammates um, just loved playing with him. A quote from Chase Utley after he passed away, actually, he said, words cannot describe what it feels like to lose a friend like Roy. He was the ultimate teammate with a passion for being the best. I'm honored to have the chance to compete with you, Roy. My heart goes out to Brandy and his boys. Rest in peace, Doc, but knowing you, rest is not in your vocabulary. Uh, Roy Halladay was just a class act. Uh, and, and for me, as a young baseball player, uh, growing up, playing in Little League and playing in high school, he, he was really a role model. Um, I actually pitched throughout my life, so looking up to him as you know a perfect human being and... Uh, baseball player on and off the field was just uh, perfect, and it's it's a sad week, but um, it gives us the opportunity to kind of look back at his career um, and some of the things that will be lost. The only thing that is it, the most ex- sad thing that comes out of this situation is something that Matt brought up to me the other day was that he's not going to be able to make his Hall of Fame speech. Um, should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, 200 wins, uh, a, a perfect game, a no hitter in the playoffs. Uh, he's just been terrific, so. Um, sad day, but I'm excited to jump in and talk about him a little bit more. Yeah, he was compared to you know Utley himself and Greg Maddox and his demeanor, a guy who really <clears throat> put in that work and um, was known for putting his head down and being taking the game so seriously to the point where sometimes people would be wondering if he was even enjoying it just because that was how important pitching was to him. It was an art form. It was something that, um, you know, it it just kind of encompassed his personality. No matter what team you root for, this was a guy that you respected um, as just one of the best and classiest players in the league. I mean, two-time Cy Young winner, eight-time All-Star, had 20 wins three different times, 19. He finished finished top five in the Cy Young seven times. That's insane, including six straight seasons from 2005 to 2011. That's just incredible. And and the one story that stuck with me was another – uh, Chase Utley actually put up an Instagram post after he found out about the news saying, talking about like the first time he met Roy Halladay when he came over and he met him at spring training and he walked in the locker room and Roy Halladay was drenched from head to toe. It looked like he just ran through a rainstorm and Chase Utley was asking him like, oh, is it raining outside? And he was like, no, I just got out of my workout. And that's when he, Chase Utley said he realized that like this guy had a work ethic like no other. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's a sad day, but like Matt said, you go through his numbers, the 200 wins, the 3.38 career ERA. The dude's incredible, um, and he was a role model to me, and, and it's going to be tough without him, especially because he was working with the Phillies this year uh, as a special advisor. So uh, it's a tough day, but the dude had a great work ethic. Uh, he actually finished in the top 10 for the MVP twice in his career. So uh, nothing like Roy Halladay. He's definitely a class act and a great baseball player. Yeah, he's most remembered for um, his perfect game that he threw on May 29, 2010 against Miami uh, for the Phillies. That was in his first year with the club. 
Um, and then later that season, once and made it to the NLDS, they played the Cincinnati Reds, and he threw a no-hitter in that first round, which helped propel them to a series win in order to get to the NLCS. While he never was able to pitch in a World Series, um, he still is looked on as, as one of the greater pitchers we've seen over the past 20 years. Um, and I agree that he's definitely, um, I wouldn't not wouldn't say a lock to be first ballot Hall of Famer, but I would say a lock to be one in general. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if like the, his voting actually goes up now um, solely because, you know, he's gone. Um, which obviously you, you can't quantify that, but we'll have to look at the voting next year uh, to see how the writers kind of shake that out. But he's absolutely deserving of making it in general. So uh, a lot of respect for him, a lot of respect from him. You're just seeing tons of reactions from players all over baseball, whether they played for him uh, or with him or against him. It's obvious that he left an impression on everybody that he ever met, and it, baseball just had a huge punch to the gut. Yeah, definitely. You know, you could see it outside Citizens Bank Park this week. Uh, a lot of fans leaving jerseys and flowers outside the, the stadium. So there was a lot of love from fans, where as, especially Philadelphia fans who were kind of rough um, around the edges. They they loved Roy Halladay. He was brought in from day one to win a World Series. Um, they weren't able to do that with him on the roster, but he came in and won. So, um, you know... Uh, it, it's it's awful, but it, it's awesome to see just how much he was appreciated in the game of baseball. And, you know, from Charlie Manuel to Cole Hamels to Shane Victorino to Chase Utley, all those guys sent out messages saying how much they loved him. Um, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate because uh, the game lost a great one this week. But, you know, he may be lost. Like, I, I wrote a piece for the Breeze this week, um, kind of going into depth on how he was like a role model for me growing up. And, you know, he, he's lost, but he, may, he he won't be forgotten. Absolutely. I mean, this is um, similar to Jose Fernandez in that, you know, someone that everybody is going to be missing and everybody um, mourns together in this. And it kind of, you know, shows that there's more to baseball than just the game that's played on the field. Uh, these are real people, real um, storylines and emotions, and uh, it's def it definitely hurts a lot. So... A lot of respect for Roy Holiday. Rest in peace. Um, on that somber note, though, we do want to move on. We have a couple other topics we wanted to get to today. Um, with the news of all the award finalists coming out, I posed this question to Kevin. Who is the most surprising award finalist? Now, there were a few locks, obviously. We kind of figured who was going to be in the NL MVP or AL MVP conversation um, the top of this NL Cy Young, but Kevin, who do you think of the top threes that they released? Who is the one that kind of you know we're like kind of taking it back about? I was honestly surprised at Andrew Benatendi. I think uh, compared to a lot of the other guys, I mean, he put up the the counting numbers, but I just wasn't. I feel like I we could have gotten more out of him this year. Um, you know, the twenty home runs, ninety RBIs is nice. Uh, Three fifty two on base was pretty good. But only a 271 average. He's only been a career 274 hitter. I, I like I, when he came up. I thought he was more of a contact guy. I was looking more uh, at a 300 average, maybe. But you know, I was not that not to say he didn't have a great year. You know, 90 RBIs is, is great. But um, I I think there were there were better candidates. So um, Andrew Benintendi, Benintendi is definitely a player for me that 
I was kind of shocked was a finalist for the AL uh, Rookie of the Year. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Rookie of the Year is basically decided in both leagues. I'm going to talk about that later. But, you know, Judge is going to win in the American League, obviously. He's more of an MVP candidate than uh, he is. He's just a lock for the AL Rookie of the Year. And then you look at the other side, Cody Bellinger, uh, on the best team in the National League and hit over 30 home runs. So that's a lock as well. So um, Ben Attendee is definitely the one that caught my eye a little bit. But um, how about you, Matt? Well, I want to stay on that topic for a minute and, and talk about Ben Attendee. I think, you know, he did have a good year. Um, I wasn't necessarily – I mean, obviously there were really high expectations. I think he was, you know, everybody's top pick to take home the award when the season started. But I feel like his name kind of carried a little more weight past what he actually did. Um, I agree with you that it was kind of odd. I talked a lot about Matt Olson at the end of the year and how he impressed. And while you said, you know, he only played in 59 games, he had a higher war, according to baseball reference, than Ben Attendee did. Um, his OPS was over 1,000. Um, Yulieski Guriel was left on the outside looking in. He had a higher OPS, um, three, uh, 299 average, um, 18 home runs as opposed to Ben Attendee's 20. So about the same season from him, just less RBIs and uh, less runs scored. But I feel like that's just part of, you know, Boston's offense and Ben Attendee hitting higher up in the order. I think that there was, it was just kind of, it was, I don't know. I didn't really like the fact that Ben Attendee was in there because I feel like it was only because he was a Boston Red Sox and because he was the number one prospect going into the year. It was almost a courtesy to him because I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, he has a high ceiling. Um, he'll be good in future years. So this could help his case and kind of voted him that in that way. I did like seeing Trey Mancini in there. I uh, definitely thought he was one of the top rookies in the league this year. He kind of was under the radar. No one was really talking about him. Um, but at the same time, he, he's getting the recognition he deserves. Two other guys who I really think deserve some recognition as well as Mitch Hanniger of the um, Seattle Mariners and Rafael Devers, Boston Red Sox. Devers had, didn't play as much, um, but had a great second half kind of filled in there when you know, the big hole on that team was considered Pablo Sandoval at third base. He had an uh, immediate impact on the Red Sox. Absolutely. I mean, he finished with 10 home runs. It's one every six games, which is a pretty crazy rate. Um, and then Mitch Hanniger, quiet, quiet, great year um, for the Mariners, who no one really talks about unless they're good. So uh, any time, you know, there's one player doing well over there, you're really not going to hear about it. But he actually had a higher war than both Ben Attendee and Matt Olson. Um and I think it was the third, yeah, third highest in the American League. Matt Chapman had a, a good one as well, 3.6 for Oakland. So while his numbers, uh, 234 batting average is going to hurt him, I think that, I mean, obviously Aaron Judge is the top, the cream of the crop, and he's going to be the one winning. But I don't know, I feel like Ben Attendee was just kind of thrown in there as a courtesy. Yeah, and another player that really caught my eye when I go back into these uh, candidates or the finalists, is Josh Bell. Um, you know, he, he had a good year, 26 home runs, 90 RBIs. But the average wasn't there. He only hit 255. On-base percentage wasn't very high. It's 334. And his OPS was 800. So it wasn't amazing. I, I 800 is good. But, you know, for some of these finalists, I, I would like to see it a little higher. Um, Josh Bell, you know, like I said, the power was there. But I, I just don't know if he should have made the cut as a finalist in the National League. Yeah, and we got to talk about Jordan Montgomery too. Uh, for the boss for the New York Yankees, had a great year. Um, his ERA was a three eight eight, which isn't sparkling by any means, but it was still you know for a rookie, that's a great way to start. K twenty two percent strikeout rate is pretty incredible. 
as well. So I, I was personally very impressed with him. Uh, pitched 155 innings, which for a rookie is, is pretty insane. So there, I feel like there were just so many candidates that just because Ben Attendee was that number one prospect, he really shouldn't have stayed in that conversation. Yeah, and and you look at the rest of the award finalists, you know, manager of the year in the AL and the NL, where those three names in each league are, you know, the guys we expected. And then you go up to the MVP race and the Cy Young races. Those are all guys we expected as well. Um, it's good to see Luis Severino uh, become a finalist for the AL Cy Young. He had a great year, uh, really was a huge reason why the Yankees made the playoffs this year, along with uh, their AL uh, MVP candidate, which Aaron Judge, who had, everyone knows, a great year. So, um, you know, I, I like to see that Luis Severino, and also, have, kind of under the radar, but two Nationals, an NL Cy Young uh, finalist out of the three finalists, Strasburg and Scherzer, uh, to go along with Kershaw, which we've had this debate on the show. Um, I still think that, that Kershaw is a better pitcher than both of those guys, but Scherzer definitely had the better year this year, and you know Kershaw was out for a little bit. So, um, but I mean, that, if, can awesome you can you Nationals. say Kershaw is the better pitcher if Scherzer's winning back to back Cy Youngs? Yeah, I can. But how? I mean, he hasn't he hasn't look, been look, the best look pitcher. His, look at his career ERA. But yeah, but that's that's career, him in the past. His career ERA. Regardless, two, three, regardless, two three five. We really need to dive into this debate again at some point. No two three five. <laughs> no no no. Two three six with uh, two thousand one hundred and twenty strikeouts, one hundred and forty four and sixty four record in his career, and a one flat whip. Like, come on, he's lowered his ERA in the last eight years. This year, two point three one, eighteen and four, and this was considered a down year for him. Like, come on. Scherzer's had one season with a whip above one since twenty thirteen, which was, is pretty crazy. Okay, but. What was he had some seasons ERAs over four, didn't he? He had one season with an ERA over. Four. Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong one. He had two seasons uh, with an ERA over four. Um, but he. But the thing is, is like I'm talking. Kershaw if you look from 2013 to now, which is when Scherzer became Scherzer, you can even look 2012 to now. 2012 to now, when Scherzer really became Scherzer, I mean his numbers. All right, three ERA. That's uh, 195 starts. Okay. 1,500 strikeouts, 1.03 whip, a FIP under 3, that's a 10.9 K per 9. I mean, that's pretty incredible numbers. And, you know, yes, Kershaw, greatest pitcher on the planet over the course of his career. But if you look at once Scherzer emerged on the scene, the the margin kind of, you know, drops a little bit. So, anyway, my honestly... No, 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 no. You have to let me speak. You can't just just not... You can't just move on like that. All right. We're going into Kershaw's numbers. One season with an ERA over four was his rookie season. After that, never had a season with an ERA over 2.8. Over 2.8, including three seasons with an ERA under two. And uh, This year, 2.31. Last year, 1.69. In 2013, 1.83. In 2014, 1.77. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm just flabbergasted that you think that... that Scherzer's a better pitcher than Kershaw. I mean, you just look at the numbers. It's ridiculous. He's won three Cy Young Awards in the last uh, one since 2011. Yeah, since 2011, he's finished in the top five of the Cy Young. It will be one, two, three, seven straight seasons, top five in the Cy Young. Like, (coughs) come on. 
Yeah, it's but he's also only broken 200 innings once in the past four years. Scherzer hasn't failed to break it since 2012. I know you just neglect those years before. 236, 227, 233, 204. Yeah, but I'm saying right now, who's the best pitcher right now? Not who is the best pitcher that has pitched in the past year. In a full season, I take Kershaw over Scherzer. Yeah, but you're only going to get so many innings out of him what? looking at his track record. <laughs> 150 wins. innings. 18 wins this year. Recurring back wins. injuries over the past two 18 years. 18 wins, 200 strikeouts. Three different DL stints. 18 wins, 200 strikeouts, 2-3-1 ERA. Those are all numbers I would take on my team. I mean, 2-5-1 ERA, league leading 268 strikeouts, I mean, whip won, under one. We're talking about a guy who won the MVP in 2014. Best batting average against in 20 years, Max Scherzer. I mean, hit per nine, 5.7. I mean, that's just otherworldly. I mean, at the end of the day, like, Kershaw's the best pitcher in baseball. So I, I don't understand. I, I don't disagree with you. I just think you not acknowledging it's a debate it has, it has, is the issue here. Because, honestly, I like think saying, there's room for error. It's like point. saying Giannis is the best player in basketball because he's averaging 40 through 90. Except like, Giannis hasn't running, been like, good for five years. Giannis has been good for five years. No, he hasn't been MVP caliber for five years. All right, this is the MLB podcast I brought up in NBA debate but back to kershaw scherzer kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball we'll leave it at that we're not leaving it at that we're leaving it open for discussion um definitely definitely (laughs) tell us what you think on twitter yeah we we can revisit this i think it's i think it's a great debate but anyway my actual biggest surprise was steven strasberg being in the top three because yes i think he had a great year um some really solid numbers out of him it was um, we were kind of the year we were waiting for from Strasburg, but at the same time, I felt like with how Zach Granke pitched this year, with how Robbie Ray, how Jacob DeGrom, I didn't think that Strasburg was really going to get that recognition, um, solely because, I mean, he only pitched 175 innings, which still qualified, yes, um, but, you know, he had um, a DL stint of his own. Um, ERA was low, 252, which is pretty good. His FIP was led the National League at 272. Home runs per nine, 0.7. He wasn't giving up any long balls. Um, really a, a great all-around season from him. But I just think that um, with how great, with the name that Zach Greinke carries and the numbers he had, yes, his ERA was above three. Um, but he had a, a great year across the board. Also broke 200 innings, um, something he's been pretty good at doing over the course of his career. Robbie Ray was really impressive. Um, I would have considered him, honestly, the ace of the staff this year for um, the – Diamondbacks, although he did pitch less innings, but um, had pretty great numbers himself. And Jacob deGrom, um, especially playing in New York, I thought that he had a great season, was kind of carrying that rotation. But again, his ERA was above three, but broke that 200-inning mark. I think the 200-inning uh, is big for me. If, if, if you can throw 200 innings in a season, I feel like that really establishes you as you know a dependable ace because other pitchers aren't really going to be put out there for 200 innings unless you're able to go six, seven innings every start. So, yes, I think Scherzer, Strasburg's numbers are certainly warranting of being in the conversation. I just didn't think he pitched enough, um, which falls in the same – he pitched a third of an inning more than uh, Kershaw, so that's a whole other debate. But I, I just think that that 200-inning mark is something – there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and, you know, the one injury – was it one injury that kept him out? 
uh, cost him that 25 innings he probably could have had and gone over 200, especially with the way Dusty Baker's been pitching Nationals pitchers. Uh, might have left him out there longer than most uh, managers might have done. But still, he got to the 200 strikeout mark in only 175 innings. And, you know, it's really impressive to look at the 2.52 ERA. I think writers uh, take into account that ERA more than we, we really think they do. Um, and I think a 2.52 ERA over Granke's ERA over three uh, definitely pulled weight. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm a huge Phillies fan, so I really don't like the Nationals. But at the end of the day, I think they got it right in the National League. I think Steven Strasburg was a top three pitcher in the National League this year. Um, but I think that award's definitely going to go to Max Scherzer, uh, by far the best pitcher in the National League this year. Um, you know, that's beside the point that Kershaw got hurt. If Kershaw <coughs> didn't get hurt, I think it's a closer uh, race. But I think the award's going to go to Scherzer. Um, but all three of those guys definitely deserve it. While we're on the Nats, I do want to say that Dave Martinez, um, the new manager for the team, they decided not to bring Dusty Baker back, which kind of the media just ripped him for it. And while I don't think it was handled the best way it could have been, um, with Mike Rizzo saying all year, like, Dusty's my guy, he's going to be getting a uh, extension, all this stuff, and then they kind of just let him go. I really wasn't a huge fan of Dusty Baker. I thought that, one, you know, he, he left starters out for too long. His bullpen management wasn't great. He would stick with guys in the lineup. Uh, way past when they should have been um, held there. Um, Danny Espinosa is a great example. This past year, he would not move his three, four, five, six guys around. I mean, from Harper to Harper, Murphy, Rendon, and Zerman, he just wouldn't shuffle them at all, especially when Eaton, Trey Turner got hurt. Those one-two spots were kind of just filled in with other players, which I was I couldn't believe they were doing. Just simply, you could move everybody up one spot and then throw – Michael Taylor in at leadoff, and you still have a pretty half-decent lineup, but there was consistently some holes at the top of the lineup, which kind of, I think hurt the Nats in the long run. So um, I'm honestly not too disappointed that um, Dusty Baker's gone. I think Dave Martinez, who was the bench coach under Joe Madden, both at, for the Cubs and for the Rays, is going to be bringing a sabermetric approach to the table. That was something that the Nats said they really valued in who they were uh, hiring because, I mean, the goal is to get past the NLDS for them. I mean, four, oh, for four and four tries is just horrible. So they were looking at, you know, who can succeed in the postseason. They think Dave Martinez can do it. And I think he was a great candidate. And also Kevin Long, who is the Mets uh, hitting coach, is now going to be the Nats. Um, and Chip Hale, who's a former uh, manager of the Diamondbacks, is now going to be their bench coach. So they're already filling out a pretty star-studded staff, in my opinion. And I, I think the Nats are doing the right thing in hiring the right guys. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to move off of that topic for a second. Uh, do you think Otani should come over? This year, or wait until he's eligible to make more than the international bonus allows next year? I think, I mean, honestly, he should do what Masahiro Tanaka did. I mean, Tanaka um, was able to sign a big deal, but he, he included a couple of op- a big opt-out, which was actually this season, in his contract so that once he, he reached a certain age, he could decide, you know, am I pitching well enough to go hit free agency and really garner a record-setting contract? And he decided to keep the contract ultimately, and that's what I think um, Otani should do: is just have a long-term. You can have a long-term deal if you want. I think he has two options: have a long-term deal, but have an opt-out um, when he would be eligible for um, going and signing a big deal, or have it be a short-term deal and then just hit free agency um, and just kind of see how it goes. I think it would be safer to play a long-term deal with an opt-out in there. Um, but I think I think. I mean, anytime you can play in the major leagues, you should. 
obviously he's a star over um, overseas and everything, but at the same time, this is this is the greatest game and the greatest league for it. And uh, if I were him, I would come to the East of the States. Yeah, so he hired a major league baseball agent this week, um, definitely showing signs that he might come over for next season. But um, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer if you're a businessman that he, he probably should come over next year and get the long-term contract. Um, instead of you know making less than a million and then waiting to uh, be off control and hit free agency, so I think it's a no-brainer. He might be in a rush to get over here, so who knows? Um, I think every team's got to post twenty million, and they can all negotiate with him. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, it's it's very complicated, um, but that's that's basically what it boils down to. Yeah, so um, I'm definitely excited to see him come over. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, definitely wasn't a scheduled topic. I just I saw it in the news the other day, so um, we can move on. But uh, I'm excited to see what we. I'm excited to see Otani come over. Yeah, I love the off season. For I mean, I love obviously I love when baseball is being played, but I think the MLB off season is one of the most fun. I mean, there's more trades than any other league, except the NBA had a crazy off season this past year. But normally, baseball is where you know all the the front off, front office action is happening. Um, especially at the winter meetings, which will be in a less than a month now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up there. MLB Hot Stove is starting up. Um, so I'm sure we'll start to see um, some action, especially with these free agents who have now declined or uh, yeah, declined their qualifying offers. I think all of them have been offered at this point. Uh, I know the Royals, all three of the Royal Stars got them. Uh, Greg Holland was offered one, turned it down. Wade Davis as well. So a couple of other big names there: Yu Darvish um, and JD Martin or JD Martinez couldn't. So I think that's going to help him because uh, he was traded halfway through the year, so he couldn't be offered a qualifying offer. So that's really going to help him in free agency because he's, he's not going to have that pick attached. Yeah, I think so it's a, at day least one fifty. Scott Boris is looking for over two hundred for him, but I who doubt knows it's going to happen. Knows if, I mean, Scott Boris is always trying to get the most for his. Uh, I mean, what agent isn't? But I feel like for hitters, getting over two hundred million, you have to be a little younger um, than what JD Martinez is at now. He's on the wrong side of thirty. Um, it, but if you're a, if you're a hitter that's hitting for agency around twenty eight, twenty nine, then maybe you can get like a two hundred million dollar deal. But even the best hitters, I think, should be suiting for around one eighty at the most if they're thirty one, thirty two years old. Yeah, apparently uh, he's demanding. Or commanding two hundred million in the. In well, Scott Boris season. has shown he's not afraid to wait it out. I mean, you you saw it with Stephen Drew, you saw it with Kendrick Morales, yeah. where he'll have his players just sit out half a season, full season, uh, just to get a contract. And while I don't really, I, I feel like Scott Boris kind of takes over for the player sometimes and doesn't let the player actually make their decisions. I mean, obviously, in the end, he lets them pick what they want to do. I mean, we saw with Steven Strasburg decided to forego free agency to sign a, an extension with the Nats. Um, he's a Scott Boris client, and that was kind of unprecedented. So I, I think to an extent, obviously, the players can do what they want. But if the player gives Scott Boris full autonomy of what happens, he will, you know, he'll play the waiting game. He's not afraid to do it. So we could see, you know, the, that could be a guy that we don't really find out where he goes until the very end of the year. Yeah, definitely be interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I think J.D. Martinez, I think, I think being on, like you said, being on the wrong side of 30, it, it's tough to give a guy $200 million because uh, you see it with these bad contracts nowadays, like Albert Pujols, for instance, they gave him a 10-year contract when he was, what, 
29, 30 years old, and now he's one of the worst players in baseball, and they have to pay him what, 30 million a year, 25 million a year. So that's that's really tough. Um, he, he he can definitely be an impact bat for the next four or five years, but beyond that, you're kind of kind of lost money. So I feel like he could get a much better. Um, average annual value on a deal if he signed a five-year contract, but I think honestly he he's the most over longevity. I think he's going to aim for six or seven, um, which is like kind of like what the Nats gave to Jason Worth uh, back in 2011, which uh, that contract just ended. I mean, one thing that concerns me at Martinez is his um, defense is really not all that great. Um, has never really been a great defender. And that's only going to get worse as time goes on. So he definitely should be signing with an American League club so that if he, he signs DH a deal like that, run. so he can he can DH at some point. Um, but I just feel like a lot of a lot of teams in the American League, um, I don't even know if if you know an outfielder is at the top of their list. I mean, it, it'll be his market's not going to take shape for a while. I think it's going to be one of the slower ones to develop. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Yep, nice stuff. Now, another point we wanted to talk about was the biggest storylines from the past year. I think it's a great way to kind of recap this whole season. Um, My favorite, personally, was the Cleveland Indians um, winning 22 straight games, 27 of 28 overall. And that just incredible stretch from them fueled without even Andrew, Andrew Miller on the disabled list for most of it. They had Corey Kluber pitching like an absolute monster really taking over that second half, having a great second half to the season. Um, Jose Ramirez hitting out of otherworldly, which propelled him to finishing top three in the MVP uh, selections. So uh, Lindor coming along, um, Kipnis coming off the disabled list and having a great uh, second half as well. So that was one of the most exciting things, I think, following that winning streak. Just like, did they win again? Did they win again? You know, checking the scores in the morning. Um, and just seeing, like, you know, oh, yep, they did it. Oh, there's another sweep. Finally, the Royals ended it. But um, it was just a lot of fun to watch, and I think it made um, for a great story. And what it honestly made for such an even more crushing defeat um, for the Indians and the ALDS. Yeah, definitely. My my storyline, personally, is uh, the rookies this year. They were terrific. Uh, usually you see them put up, you know, good numbers for rookies, but you're like, oh, they'll just win the rookie of the year. This year, both the... Uh, NL and AL Rookie of the Years. Who are AL? It's going to be Aaron Judge. Uh, NL, it's going to be Cody Bellinger. Both of those guys are are true MVP candidates. Um, at the end of the day, so not only did these guys impact as rookies, they impacted like they were like ten year veterans. So um, that's the story for me. Just the impact of like you know Aaron Judge coming up and after hitting 190 last year. Uh, coming up and really taking the league by storm, hitting over 50 home runs. Gotta love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where Bellinger is going to finish uh, in the NL MVP race. Uh, definitely top 10. I'd say probably top 7 or 8 um, with the field there. But Judge might, might win it. Judge, Judge could win it. Uh, I've gone back and forth on whether it's him or Altuve. I think at the end of the day it's going to be Altuve. Uh, I've kind of, I think I've landed on Judge at this point um, because... The, if you look past strikeouts, like obviously strikeouts are a glaring, glaring issue for him. But you look at all the, um, you know, Altuve has batting average and stolen bases and, and runs scored. But you look at the sabermetrics and they all kind of favor Judge. And that's where kind of the voters are going these days. So I think that's who they're going to end up picking. As far as who I would pick, I, 
I've, uh, I said Altuve, I think, the last time we talked about it, but now, you know, I, I'm kind of leaning toward Judge, so I think I'd say Judge as well. But, um, yeah, that'll be cool. I think the youth movement in baseball, I've said this a hundred times, but the youth movement in baseball is awesome. Um, it just makes for an exciting game because these young players, they show so much emotion, they get really fired up. Um, and it's, it's exciting as a fan to watch, um, you know, your favorite players to go out there and just, you can just see on their faces how much they love playing this game and how competitive they are. And, you know, we get the luxury of, you know, all these players, I think everybody that's 26 and younger right now and has been an all-star, we're going to get these guys for another 10 years or so. And that's just great for the game. I think these are, um, players, you know, before the league was carried by David Ortiz and, and Derek Jeter, you know, guys that more so were looked at as, like, they played the game the right way. You know, they were mm-hmm. respected people. They they were obviously good on the field, but they also carried themselves with good demeanor off the field. These these guys, you know, you, with Ortiz and, and Jeter, you didn't really see that emotion as much. Ortiz would show it sometimes, and, and Derek Jeter would obviously get pumped up for a certain play and stuff. But you, with these young guys, you know, you get, like, great energy. You get uh, lots of jokes being cracked. You see them on social media. Um, engaging with fans and everything. And I think another 10 years of that is just awesome for baseball because it's something that young people are going to be able to connect with. It's something that just this generation, like our generation, where I mean, we're 20 years old, people our age are going to be able to connect with just because it's so entertaining to watch. Um, and, and there's so much more than just the game going on. Because when, when, you, when you looked at Jeter and Ortiz, it was all about you know how they played the game. Now more so, it's who these guys are. And I think that is really the driving factor in what makes this game so exciting right now. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome that they get, these guys are so young because we get to watch them develop um, over a whole lifetime. I don't know. I was kind of talking with uh, my co-sports editor at the Breeze about this yesterday. Uh, Roy Halladay was really the first player that we, we saw develop over his whole career and then pass away. Um, I don't think there's another player we got to see uh come up as a rookie and then retire and then pass away. So uh, it's kind of cool that we get these players at a young age and they're really performing this great at uh, the age they're at because we get to see them develop throughout their whole career from rookies um, all the way till they retire. Because, you know, when Roy Halladay was coming up, he was when he was a rookie, I was two years old. So I really didn't witness him um, at a young age. Uh, nothing I comprehended. I could go back and watch video but um i i get to see aaron judge now and then see how he is in 15 years i get to see all these players develop um and it's definitely exciting for the game of baseball you know that's definitely what um the league wants they want young players coming up developing uh because you know other leagues uh, have really like the nba very successful um with the fact that they've seen that people have been so invested in the way lebron has developed over his career um, and really, really how players, uh, the young players have developed. So uh, it, it's great for the game of baseball to see guys like Judge and Bellinger come up and not only be impact impactful as rookies, but um, be MVP candidates. So uh, it, it's awesome that these guys are young, and I'm excited to see how they develop throughout the rest of their career. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. I, I love everything about it, and I think it's, it's great for the game. Now, one of my – our last thing we wanted to hit on today – is one of my favorite parts of uh, one of my. I'm so into the Hall of Fame. I love uh, analyzing players' uh, cases, and and I always come up with my own uh, picks for who I would um, elect in the Hall of Fame and everything. And 
so I wanted to take a look at the ballot. We'll have a, a, a bit of a show that's more dedicated to it when we get closer to the actual voting. Um, but right now, I wanted to pose this question, which first-year players on the ballot will get in this year? So who are the shoe-ins um, that are popping up right now that we're absolutely sure are going to make it? Um, one obvious one is Chipper Jones. I mean, the one of the greatest switch hitters of all time. Uh, played for the Atlanta Braves during the height of uh, their success, won the World Series with them in 1995, um, had just an outstanding career, was known for his longevity, played in at least 140 games every year from 1995 to 2003, then played 137 in 2004. So um, one MVP during that time, a couple silver sluggers, uh, was just a great all-around player. Never really led the league in a certain category. I mean, until 2007, he never actually led the National League in a single statistical category, but um, was just consistently there in and there out, hitting 300, uh, going for at least 25, 30 home runs every season. Uh, you can count on him for 100 RBIs. Uh, even for a while, he was stealing bases, had at least 14 from 1996 until 2000. So... Uh, just a great all-around player, another personality that you know you got to respect. I mean, we both aren't really exactly big fans of the Braves, but you got to respect who Chipper Jones was and, and what he did for that organization. So, uh, yeah, I think honestly he's the only one that's a shoe in um, to be the first uh, to be one of the first ballot Hall of Famers. There's also Jim Tomey, who's in the 500 home run club, um, actually 600 home run club, but with some of his other numbers, I mean, he only hit 276. Um, his OPS wasn't even, well, it wasn't even. I mean, his, his career OPS was good, but his, his defense wasn't was <laughs> 956. I was going to say not even over 1,000, but, like, obviously not really anyone's going to finish with a 1,000 um, OPS for their career. Um, but didn't even get to 2,000 RBIs, which I think, or what am I saying? Honestly, no one gets to 2,000 RBIs. All right, I'm having a rough day, everybody. But um, I don't think Tommy is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know um, those numbers you just read off. <laughs> they were they're pretty good numbers. Um, had but strikeouts were a big what was thing. The final home runs over six hundred, right? It was over six hundred, but he had a lot of strikeouts. Never won MVP. Had only um, an OPS over nine hundred. Only two thousand RBIs. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of players who have you know uh, uh, over a nine hundred OPS and don't make the. Um, Hall of Fame, but you guys have over two thousand. And I think I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay, but I'm just saying I don't think that. <laughs> um, I just don't think that he's going to be a first ballot. Yeah, my guy is a little biased. Um, I like to. I think Scott Rowland. I don't think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer down the road. Uh, spent six and a half seasons with the Phillies, so again, like a biased pick for me. But a seven-time All Star, Rookie of the Year, eight Gold Gloves. Uh, one silver slugger. His career wins by replacement is 99th all time. Um, so top 100 player of all time uh, in in terms of wins above replacement, um, and 67th all time in 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 WAR among position players. Um, so you know Scott Rowland's definitely got to be up there. Um, in 2000, uh, his career OPS is sorry I'm having a rough day as well. 855, <laughs> which is solid. Um, and in 1287 career RBIs with 316 home runs, uh, over 2,000 hits. I think Scott Rowland will make it um, down the road. Not Definitely not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think he definitely deserves to get in. 
Another guy that I really think should merit some consideration is Andrew Jones, um, yeah. who's one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. He won 10 straight gold gloves from 1998 until 2007. Uh, had some crazy years, hit 51 homers in 2005. Um, also was known for his longevity, played in at least 150 games from 97 to 2007. So uh, while he kind of tailed off at the end of his career, uh, never was really a great great hitter. Um, never hit for a high, that high of an average. Um, 51 home runs in 128 yeah, RBIs. That was his that was his career year, and he only he, he somehow finished second in that MVP conversation. Um, to Albert Pujols, who actually had an astounding year. Um, Talk but, about a first ballot Hall of Famer right there. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I think defense comes into play a lot with Andrew Jones, and I feel like that's something that should be quantified a little bit more in terms of, you know, who should make the Hall of Fame. Like A good example of that is Gary Sheffield, who is probably, in my opinion, along with um, the other PED guys, because Gary Sheffield only was uh, accused of once rubbing the cream on his knee because it was sore. And his numbers were actually worse over that span that he used it. And then he, like, quit. He was, like, after a week was, like, this isn't working. I'm not doing this. And, like, that is the only connection he has to PEDs, right? And people, some people just throw him off the ballot because of that, um, because he's connected with PEDs. Like, oh, he's a juicer. Like, he was doing it the whole time. I actually, I don't think he was. I believe that story. I think that's exactly what happened. And I don't really hold that against him. But at the same time, what I wouldn't, I don't vote for him for the Hall. I wouldn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame simply because he is would be the worst defensive player in the Hall of Fame if he were to go. He was an absolutely atrocious outfielder. Um, would have had he would have the most errors of any player to ever be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I don't think he's really deserving simply because I don't think defense is weight enough in stuff like this. You need to really look at you know who who were. Um, the best players, and while Andrew Jones obviously had a good, some good peak years, but his offensive numbers are not near that of even what Jim Tomey's were. But just simply because ten Gold Gloves, even if even if like you know Gold Gloves are kind of hard to say like oh this was the best fielder, you know, but it, it, to say that he was in that conversation for ten straight years, I mean, I his, mean his, that's his ridiculous. Defensive WAR is twentieth all time. Yeah. If that if that doesn't summarize what you're talking about right now. Um, I don't know what does. I mean, five All-Star games, uh, Major League Player of the Year, uh, Hank Aaron Award winner in 2005, 10 gold gloves, like you said. I, I think he'll make the Hall of Fame. Definitely not first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think he'll get in. Um, that's a, the defense is terrific. Uh, he was a guy that kind of tailed off later in his career, uh, quicker than, than most Hall of Famers. But, um, yeah, I, I think Andrew Jones should make the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I think that's going to wrap us up for our um, baseball talk for today. Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter um, as well as Visitors Bullpen and Pure Sports Network. We are in the process of hiring interested writers and editors. So if you are interested, go ahead and reach out to us on Twitter. We'll get you the application. Um, Like us on Facebook and all that jazz. So we will see you all next week. We'll have a little bit more of hot stove preview, looking at who some of the bigger free agents are, predicting some landing spots, things like that. So, um, yeah, Kevin, you got anything else for us? No. Uh, Rest in peace to Roy Halladay, and thanks for listening. All right. See you all later.